Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the book of the prophet Haggai, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, which we'll find in the Old Testament section of our Pew Bibles on page 904 or on the screen. Please join me for a prayer for illumination. God, source of all light by your word, you give light to the soul. Pour out upon us the spirit of your wisdom and understanding, that being taught by you in Holy Scripture, our hearts and minds may be opened to know the things pertaining to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the second year of King Darius, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Is it not in your sight as nothing? Yet now take courage, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Take courage, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the promise that I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit abides among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once again, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that, so that the treasure of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with splendor, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So would you pray with me? Let us pray together. Almighty God, we are grateful for this service of worship where we can be reminded that you are able to take the broken, shattered pieces of life, our lives, our journey, and remake them and make something beautiful of them. So, Lord, we ask this morning that you would fill our hearts with great encouragement to keep running the race that you've set before us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Like many of you, and I, I tell people First Prayers is a praying church, and like many of you who are here in the various prayer groups, my wife and I and some of the prayer groups that I'm in, we, we pray for Christians and people in various countries. You may not know this, but on an, on an annual basis, October 5 and October 6 is set aside as a time when Christians around the world are praying for the persecuted church in the world. And I know that sounds like an odd thing to say here in America, but there are millions of Christians in the world who do not have the freedom and the access that we have. I, I read again that 
every two hours, somewhere in this world, every two hours, a Christian is being persecuted or, or martyred. And so we're praying on a morning like this for the saints of God all around the world for whom living out the faith of Jesus, living out the call of the gospel, they're doing it under great duress. So when we're praying, and I think about some of the countries we were praying for during the month of November, we of course have been praying for America. This is a, this is a challenging time for our nation, a divided country. We're praying for our city of Chicago. We're praying for Evanston. We're praying for Jamaica and Haiti and the other islands of the Caribbean. We're praying for Lebanon. And if you check the news about what's going on in Lebanon, it's, it's heartrending. We're praying for Israel and Palestine, especially at this time. We're praying for Myanmar and India, for Central Asia, for many of the countries in Africa, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, for North and South Korea and Japan. And of course, like many of you, we're also praying for Ukraine. One of the reasons why I am emboldened to pray, I'm encouraged to pray, it's because of words like what we read in Psalm 22, where the Lord says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before God. And I can see it by faith that God's kingdom is here, God's kingdom is expanding, and a day will come when all the families of the nations of the earth shall worship before God. And so we believe that God is ruling over the nations, and so we pray, Lord, your kingdom come. In Ukraine, there are many cities and homes and businesses and schools and places of worship that have been reduced to rubble because of the, the Russian invasion. Thousands of people have died. Millions of people have been displaced and have fled their homeland. They're living in Europe, North America, and wherever they can find safe haven. Imagine how hard it's going to be after the war. And we're believing that this war will end how hard it will be to rebuild this country. The picture that you're looking at is the picture of what used to be the airport in eastern Ukraine, the Donetsk airport. And there are no planes coming in, and there's no one booking a flight to fly out. It's been totally destroyed. When I look at pictures like that, I try to imagine the energy and the resilience that will be needed to restore what Ukraine used to look like and feel like. And so, yes, we pray. We pray for an end to war. And whether this war happens through victory in battle, I more prefer that this war will end because there's a peace agreement that's been brokered. But however this war ends, the big concern will, will be, will these people have the will the tenacity, the patience to stay the course and to restore their broken land. And I sometimes think it will be harder than the war that they're going through. Our text this morning, I think, is a, is a palpable example of what devastated and war-torn communities 
face when they embrace the mission to rebuild and to restore and to resettle their people. And so what we read in Haggai is just a taste of what the people were going through. So before we come to the communion table, I want to encourage our congregation with two powerful reminders. We are a people on a mission. We are a post-COVID congregation trying to find our way into the God's new reality. And I want to encourage you with these two words, these two reminders. And number one, I want you to remember that as human beings, we're frail. And there are days, and maybe some of you are here this morning, and you are ready to just pack it in, give it up, phone it in. You're weary, you're tired of the path that you're on. Maybe you've started school, or maybe you're, 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 you just need to, to just press on, because this May, you're going to graduate, and you're wondering, will there be a job for me? But many of us are at different places this morning, and you're feeling frail, and you're feeling tired. Well, God has a word for you. And the second big reminder I want to leave with you is that the God we worship is a God who keeps covenant. Now, just a quick background to what we just read. Because Cyrus was this great Persian king, this ruler who defeated the once powerful Babylonians. And if you'll remember when you've read through parts of Isaiah, and the kings and Samuel, you read about how the people of Israel were, were disobedient to the will and the purposes of God. They resisted God. They, they, they clung to their idols. They listened to their false prophets. And God kept sending the prophets and warning them. And then a time came when God allowed the Babylonians to come into the southern tribes. And they carted them off to Babylon. And they destroyed the temple. Horrible time. Seventy years have passed. That's what Jeremiah prophesied. And the Lord stirred, is what we read in, in, in Chronicles, the Lord stirred the heart of, of, of Cyrus, and he made this edict. We're going to send you back to your land. We're actually going to help you as you go back to your land so you can rebuild your temple and worship your God. And so 70 years of exile has come and gone, and the people have come home. But sadly, what they returned to was a totally devastated country. Imagine New Orleans after Katrina. Imagine that the United States government and FEMA did nothing. The devastation, the floods, the loss of life, the loss of property, and 70 years later, you had to leave New Orleans, and 70 years later, you're coming back and nothing's been done. Imagine how difficult that would be. And if you can picture that, you can then understand a little of what these returning exiles were facing. You see, the temple of Solomon that Solomon built back in the glory days, when he had the nations helping him and the money and everything to build this glorious edifice, it was now a pile of stones, overgrown with weeds and wild animals. But they were glad to be home. They're still under Persian rule. They can't appoint their king. In fact, the rulers in Persia appointed a governor for them by the name of Zerubbabel. So they're really still under the authority of a foreign nation. But they're glad to be back because 400 years earlier, King Solomon built this temple. And the temple then was this representation of God's presence. 
when people saw the temple, they would know, oh, God is with us because it represented the glory and the presence of God. But now the temple is gone. It's a crisis of faith. Where is God? All we see are stones. And so the first order of business, once they come back into the land, is to rebuild the temple. And you can imagine, you've started projects before. You are filled with energy. You are plowing in. You just feel like it's going to be a smooth sailing because of the energy, the confidence that you feel. And we do the same thing. But over time, they lost their passion. We're human beings. We're never able to sustain that passion going up and to the right. It's more like what the stock market looks like for many of us in terms of our energy and our passion. We grow weary. We lose our focus. We lose our vision. And that's the first big reminder. God's people started the work. And within about 30 days, they just dropped their implements. They stopped. They walked away. And you say, well, why would they do that? I think part of the answer is rooted in this text. This is in chapter 1 and verse 4. We didn't read this. But God, speaking through the prophet Haggai, asked the question, is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house, God's house, is in ruins? That was the question because they had stopped. And when I read between the lines and I read in the surrounding passages, what might be happening is that the people are asking themselves, how can we put all this energy in working on God's house when we don't even have a house to live in? So they stopped working. We have practical needs, God. We have this land over here that needs to be farmed. We have these kids who need to be fed. Our families are still pretty disoriented and mourning. Lord, we've got to take care of our tangible needs before we worry about spiritual needs. And that sounds logical. And then maybe the other big issue is they were saying, Lord, we don't have the power. We don't have the financial power. We don't have the political power. We don't have the people power to restore Solomon's temple to what it used to be. And so, Lord, yeah, we're, we're, we're stopping. We're discouraged. But God spoke to them through the prophet Haggai. And God essentially says to them, listen, guys, this is not a time to stop. And if you're here this morning and you are, you are thinking of giving up, God is saying to you this morning, this is not a time to stop. This is not a time to give up. Sure, you can go ahead and fulfill all your personal and your existential needs because often they are, they are right before us. They're crying out to us. Those needs need to be met. But God is saying to the people, but listen, guys, without my presence at the center of your life, you will still feel empty inside. And so God, speaking through Haggai, asked three big questions. And if you have your Bibles, you could look them up again. It was in the reading. The Lord says to them, speak now to Zerubbabel, who was the governor of Judah. Speak to Joshua, who was the priest. And speak to the Amharet. Speak to the people of the land and say to them, and these are the three questions. Question number one, who is left among you that saw the house in its former glory? 
And the answer would be not too many. This is 70 years later. Some of those folks have died. Some of them are too young to remember Solomon's temple in its former glory. The second question is, how does it look now? And the people would say to God, Lord, it's in bad shape. Things don't look good. Third question, is it not in your sight as nothing? And the people would say, yeah, Lord, that's exactly what we were thinking. We weren't here when it was built. We think it looks pretty bad right now. It's almost as nothing. And I think what the Lord is doing there, the Lord is helping them to own their reality. Sometimes we don't do that. We live sort of in a la-la land. And God is saying, here's the reality. It's challenging. It's bad. But I have a word for you. And maybe this is a second big reminder that when we grow tired, when we grow weary because of the burden and the challenges and the setbacks, there is a second truth that we need to hear, that God doesn't get tired the way we do. Amen, choir? I thought I heard the choir singing this morning, God is real. Am I right? We were singing, singing Kevin's song, that God is real, that God doesn't slumber, God doesn't sleep, God doesn't get worn out and befuddled and frustrated and walk away from that which God has started. I read somewhere in the Bible where the Lord says that the good work that God has started, that God will finish it. God will carry it through until the day of Jesus Christ. God keeps covenant. God never grows weary. And so the Lord speaks these, these wonderful words to these mission-weary, tired people. And it's a word for us today. Yet now... Take courage, Zerubbabel. You know, leaders get frustrated and tired. Leaders want to give up. God says to Zerubbabel, this is not the time, Zerubbabel. Take courage. God spoke to the priest, the pastors of the land, who also get discouraged. And God said to this person, Joshua, take courage, Joshua. And then the Lord spoke to the people of the land. Take courage. Take courage. And here's the reason why. God says work. As Protestants, we believe that God created this world, that God is a God who works, but we also believe as followers of Jesus Christ that work is a wonderful thing. And as God is working, we are called to work. And God says work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the promise that I made you when you came out of Egypt, that promise is the covenant, my spirit. And this is the beautiful part. God said it to Moses. God says it throughout Scripture. God is saying it to his people again. My spirit abides among you. Do not fear. So think of all that you're going through right now. Think of all the challenges that you are facing right now. Think of all the voices in your head that are telling you it's futile. Your marriage isn't going to work. It's, it's too late. That, that, that ship has sailed is what they say. Why are you worrying about writing a book? Why are you worrying about starting a company? Why are you, why are you trying to live a decidedly Christian life in a culture where you guys are being criticized as fanatics and as... Uh, 
uh, as people who are, who are losing your minds following Christ. The Lord says to you, and look at the words that are in that, in, in, embedded in that, in that strong reminder. Take courage. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Work. Stay focused on that which God has called you to do. It takes one drop at a time to fill an ocean. It takes one step at a time to go a thousand miles or 10,000 miles. Keep working. I am with you, the Lord is saying. You're not alone. The devil wants you to think you're alone. The devil thinks you're the only one going through what you're going through. The Lord says, no, you're not alone. You're surrounded on this Sunday where we remember all the saints. We're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. You're surrounded by the presence and the power of God. I am with you. And then the Lord reminded them of Egypt. I call Egypt and what happened at the Red Sea one of the, one of the pinnacles of Scripture along with the resurrection. Remember what I did at Egypt. And the Lord says, my spirit is, is among you. Do not fear. Two big reminders. We're human beings. We're weak. We're going to stumble. But we serve this covenant-keeping God who is with us. Now, we live in Chicago. We live on the North Shore. And all of this sounds so foreign to our ears. We're not exiles. We, we, we've never left America, some of us. We don't know what slavery and bondage is. We, we're not refugees fleeing our homeland because of war or violence or famine. But chances are you can identify with these former exiles. You've been worn out. You're tired. There's no passion. You're grieving. You're ready to give up the mission. You're losing heart. But I want to encourage you this morning. I received a, a mailing from George Collins this past week. And George and Jan and Tom and Barb Spencer and several other people in our congregation are involved in a movement called Bill Congo Schools. I've been here 13 years and they were already doing it. So I don't know, maybe it's more like 15, 20 years you guys have been at it. Against impossible odds, these folks visited the Democratic Republic of the Congo and they saw a need. They saw schools that were meeting in thatch huts. They saw schools that were in dire need of resources. I think Denise Drain was part of that group too. And by God's grace and by the generous giving of this congregation and so many other churches, they're now, they just completed their 10th school. I did go to school. I'm, I'm holding up five. I should go like this. Yeah, I know. New math. 10 schools. Educating thousands of boys and girls in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. It hasn't been easy. George was part of a group that was raising around $80,000 to help launch the 10th school. And George, I want to say to you and Jan and Denise and all the others, Barb, don't, don't, don't lose hope. Number 11 is on the way. Number 11 is on the way. We serve a mighty God, and he's going to make a way because this country and the future of the Democratic Republic of the Congo is going to rest in those little boys and little girls getting a decent education. And here we are all the way in America 
helping to make a difference. Don't lose heart. Christian education at that too. I think about the scope of the work that this church and other churches in Evanston and Chicago are doing to combat homelessness and hunger and, and, and all the, the, the ills that come with that. And it sometimes feels like we're, we're not making a difference. You know, our Super Saturday group, who faithfully for the last 30, 40 years never missed a Saturday, rain or shine, Christmas, Easter, you name it, they have been serving the homeless population of our city. And sometimes you wonder, are we making a difference? And God is saying to, to us today here at First Press, don't lose heart. I'm the same God who deliberated my people out of Egypt. I'm the same God. I will shake the heavens, the Lord says. I'll shake the earth. I own the silver and the gold, and I will make a way. First prayer, I want to encourage you this morning. Don't give up. These are tough times for the body of Christ in this season. Many churches are struggling coming out of the pandemic, and we're struggling before the pandemic, but I want to encourage you, keep working, first prayers. Keep sharing. Keep inviting. Keep giving. Keep praying. Keep showing up. Keep showing love even to those who choose not to love you because the Lord of heaven's armies is with us. God's spirit is among us and he will make a way for us. I often remind myself of the passage from Hebrews chapter 13 where it says that yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus is the same and Jesus was standing on the Mount of Olives with his 11 disciples just before the ascension. And he's given them an impossible mission. Many of them were asking, Lord, is this the time you are going to restore the kingdom? And God said, look, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. What I want you to do is to wait for the power from on high. And Jesus came and he said to them, well, let me read the whole text for you. It says, he went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, listen to this, some worshiped him, some doubted. Look at verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now we're talking about 11 people, guys. Here's a new math again. 11 people. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. But here's the, here's the key here. Remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. First prayers, so keep on keeping on. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God's children say, Amen.